Welcome to Integrating Technology, episode 50, a nice round number. It's taken quite some time to get here, but here we are, and what an episode it is. Today's guest is Fred Laux, and man, does he do a great job of articulating where we are in the industry as far as control management software in general is. Now, some of this may sound still quite futuristic to many people, but he really gives some great examples of how the future is here, how the changes are happening, and how we can get on board. So without further ado, here's today's interview with Fred Laux. Welcome to Integrating Technology. My name is Patrick Murray, and today I am with Fred Laux. How you doing, Fred? Fantastic, Patrick. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, great to have you back. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that we did an interview, mostly based on security, I think you'd say, and, and how to apply software in AV. And today we're going to get a little more specific and talk about containerization. Um, just give us a quick overview of who you are and what you do, and then maybe jump right into an overview of what containerization is, just a few sentences, and then we'll dig into the nuts and bolts. Sure. Sounds good. Well, on the CTO level three audiovisual, uh, which basically means I'm responsible for anything mission, vision, strategy, execution around technology within the company. Uh, so interestingly enough, in that role kind of detached from the AV space as it's traditionally thought of, right? I'm not picking which next you know video streaming solution we're going to use. I'm mostly trying to think about how do we leverage best in class software to change the way our business functions and uh, by extension, hopefully change the way the industry functions. And along that journey is when I discovered containers, you know, when I was trying to figure out how do I take an application that has lots and lots of dependencies and make it work, you know, anywhere, right? Um, and it sort of normalize that process. So containerization functionally at its sort of simplest level is just a way to bundle all of the things a piece of software needs to run all in one place so that it can run anywhere sort of solving focused on solving the well it works on my computer problem right mm. uh, and allowing that to to extend out to lots of different systems all over the place which is kind of core to the whole av problem when it comes to software right we tend to run software out in places right physical locations out in private networks all over the place so normalizing that is a real big challenge if you want to move to sort of a true software. When I say true software, I mean, right, JavaScript, Python, right, any sort of actual non-AV industry-specific programming language uh, or uh, non-manufacturer-specific programming language. And if you want to run that software out all over the place, the, the dependency management nightmare that you're going to introduce yourself to is steep and gnarly and very difficult to scale. So containers is in many ways the the answer to that, uh, that the rest of the software industry is already discovered and that I think mm. uh, has great potential in the AV space. Okay, great. So I'm going to sum that up as uh, it's, it's a cross-platform platform. It's a way to uh, manage your software in a way where you don't have to concern yourself with um, the, the background operating system, I guess you could kind of say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Abstract away all those dependencies, all those other layers of concern and try to allow that software to just work <laughs> the way it's yeah. intended. <laughs> so I, I've got a few notes here, but I just want to kind of paint this picture a little better. Um, it, so containerization, obviously, we're talking about containers. So 
each, I don't know, mini app or service or however you want to call it is a container unto itself. And I guess you could think of it as that container has everything it needs to run. Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely the intention. Mm. You know, how do I, how do I sandbox all of the Okay. Componentry this application needs and and bundle it together specific to versions right and everything else we might need wow, right tag okay. all of that stuff exactly as needed so the application can function in a predictable way. Great, yeah, I can, really. I can if I were to illustrate that, I might do it as you know, um, say you're running something that's Node.js based, right, and you're using npm to grab some dependency to run your application. Mm-hmm. Uh, deploying that on one machine is trivial, right? npm, go yeah. install this application, these packages, right? Put them in your dependencies list. Um, that's that's all well and good when you're working on your development system or maybe one or two systems for deployment. But the second you need to put that same application out on a dozen or a hundred or a mm-hmm. thousand endpoints. And actually scale it out well making sure you're using the same or the right version of that npm dependency or dozens or hundreds of npm dependencies yeah. across all of those machines and keeping them locked uh, in a consistent way well that's nearly impossible without yeah. something like containers to bundle it together okay cool so we need to take a side path now and talk about npm which stands <laughs> for node package manager um and i always thought that this had huge potential for av because right? How do you manage drivers or just mm-hmm. different kinds of logic that you put together? How could we share them as a community? And mm-hmm. NPM is, uh, there's other registries like this, but it's just a great place where you can um, create a package, put it on their website. And then if somebody else wants to install it, they basically say NPM install, and then the name of your package, and then it winds up on your machine or wherever it is that you wanted to install it. Um but the interesting thing about this is that those packages usually contain other packages. So mm-hmm. let's say I wrote a TCP client to talk to my video projector. That TCP client package is going to contain other packages that it's built on. And then you get this big tangled mess of dependencies because everybody needs needs different versions um, to work. Or not different versions. Maybe it was built on a specific version. And when you go through the upgrade process, uh, things could get messy or it could work out. And the interesting thing about all of this is, is that uh, when you're using these platforms, they usually get monitored for security vulnerabilities. So if like one of those underlying packages has a vulnerability and it gets discovered, you'll get an email about it and saying, hey, you got to update your thing so that it's more secure. Um, Do you have any more thoughts about an overview about NPM or just registries in general about how we could use it and, and build? Yeah more interesting things and share them. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I mean, NPM has huge potential for the AV industry. I mean, similar to how, you know, PyPy on the Python side, any of the package repositories. Um, the challenge, of course, is exactly as you illustrated. And if I were to break that down even a little bit further, imagine, right, you wrote that TCP client and say that's for, you know, manufacturer XYZ device ABC, right? Mm. Well, the second you perhaps need to talk to a different device maybe from a different manufacturer right and the person who wrote that client uh wrote it on a different base version of some of those you know lower level tcp libraries uh you now have two different drivers right that both require the same package but at different versions and that's where the fundamental breakdown starts to occur in the dependency management mm-hmm. uh, as you said so unpeeling that a little bit for for the listeners the challenge ultimately becomes uh 
you're requiring, uh, you know, you're using one host to manage all those dependencies, right? One machine, one edge device of some kind. Mm. And if you're trying to maintain those dependencies uh, on that host, then inevitably you're going to run into conflicts where one package needs this version, one package needs this version, and one package needs this version. And that's when you start falling apart. Uh, and that is the very aim that something like, you know, the Docker or containers in general aim to solve. Um, oh, so we can get okay. into that as we, as we go. But I agree. I think package management has huge potential if you can put, if you can solve for the dependency problems. Dependency. Uh, and that's what I think. That's what I see as the potential in containerization in the AV industry is rather than a distribution or platform specific package mm -hmm. manager like PyPy or NPM using containers as sort of the universal registry of anything we could be doing for, you know, clients that talk to various AV devices and in the process of dealing with the dependency management, allowing for polyglot, right? Allowing for yeah. devices or drivers to be written in different languages without really concern for what the language yeah. is, right? If it talks to this device, it could be in JavaScript. This one could be in Python and we don't care because it's containerized. So there's some, some power, I think in that, uh, you know, not requiring everybody to say stack hands on Python or JavaScript or any of those kinds of things. Absolutely. That's um, during our conversations before the podcast, that's one of the things that really came up in my mind was um, like, I love writing in Node.js. I just think it's um, the most approachable language out there. But a lot of people had standardized internally as a company on something like .NET, C Sharp mm -hmm. or Python or whatever. And that doesn't mean we can't help each other. And that's kind of the beauty of containers plus packages. So I can publish my whatever driver to NPM, for example, and you could be a C-sharp programmer and absolutely hate JavaScript or want nothing to do with it. And you wouldn't mind at all because you would create this container that would implement the node application that I wrote. And then you, in other containers, you would do your own thing. So I think that's the next step in this conversation is how does that actually look uh, at when it's applied in a project? What What is actually in a container? Is it like per device? My my Panasonic projector has, I don't know why I keep talking about projectors. It's eating myself. <laughs> Classic AV go-to. Right? Yeah. So, but does like my lighting system have a container for communication? Maybe my touch panel, uh, serving um, web pages, another thing for the video conference and integration with scheduling. How granular are these containers? Um, I'm sure you could do whatever you want, but what's been your experience about how to kind of design? Yeah, that's a great question. I would maybe touch on a larger concept, you know, of microservices to sort of bring this maybe into focus. So the big picture, you know, so let's go back a hundred years, not a hundred years, just a few years uh, and talk about how software, you know, uh, it used to be designed largely, and it was um, you'd make an application that would have all the stuff it needs all bundled together, and it'd be one, you know, one app, one runtime, one, you know, something that goes through one install or whatever that might be. Uh, and so you'd have the same dependency management problem within your own application, right? Mm, yeah. uh, say you, you've written something like um, maybe a software based control system processor um, that runs on Linux. Uh, if you were to uh, try to run that software, you might find there are lots and lots of different dependencies that uh, have to run. And sometimes those dependencies might conflict where 
mm-hmm. right? Within the same application, right? You might have one version of say curl required uh, and a different part of the application might require a different version of curl. So just, just within the application, you'd start to see that uh, the, these, these, these applications that are sort of all bundled together, we call a monolith or a monolithic application. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes very difficult to move with any great velocity uh, and it becomes very difficult to allow multiple teams to work on the same piece of software, right? You, yeah. you, you just can't go very fast because you have this big, brittle house of cards of an application. Um, so that's where microservices came in as a as a sort of concept. And, and I'm going to speak all of this from my experience as an AV professional because I didn't grow up in the software industry, as I, I, know, I know you understand. Good, then maybe um, we'll understand you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll so that's what I'll go for. Um, so microservices is essentially a way of saying, hey, instead of having this sort of monolithic application, this big application that's all sort of tightly coupled together, hmm. um, let's actually break up every functional component of the software into its own piece, um, into its own service or a microservice, uh, and let's run them all next to each other so that if I need to make a change to a part of the application, maybe I'm really only changing one service, which could be its own container. Right, mm-hmm. have its own dependencies be written in you know on Node.js, whereas other parts of the application might be written in other languages or on different versions of Node.js, and it doesn't matter. It becomes irrelevant because what we're doing is saying, hey, instead of everything talking sort of directly coupled within this one giant application, instead let's get a bunch of small pieces of the application, and then let's figure out a way to a universal way for those pieces to communicate. Right, so a message bus of some kind. Right. Uh-huh. Um, typically a pub sub or something along those you know, publish and subscribe for our listeners, um, where you have clients that subscribe to a given topic or queue of messages and clients that publish to those topics or queues. So it allows you to have real-time communications uh, between multiple different applications. And the beauty of that is they don't need to know about each other. That's really key here. Mm. In a typical monolith, every part of the application, you have to make them aware of one another. Hey, send this to this part of the application, use this inner systems communication bus, right? Or whatever yeah. it might be. Whereas in microservices, the whole point is they're decoupled. Every component can be ignorant of the other components because they're just saying, yes, I'm listening on this topic or this queue, and I'm pushing to this topic or this queue. And that's all I know. I don't know that there's 482 instances of this part of the application, and I don't care. I'm just publishing. And it also allows you then to scale that application, right? So you can say, oh, well, I only had one of these processes, but now I'm starting to hit a bottleneck. Let's start to horizontally scale or add additional processes for that exact same part of the application. So I I take that step into microservices land to just come back and answer your question. How far do you go? Do you have one big application that all runs in one container and it has all the stuff inside of it? And, you know, there's every driver, everything that you build. If you were trying to package a legacy application that's already in the AV industry, yeah, Mm. that's how you do it, right? Because that's Mm. how it was written. So you just bundle that into one container, and now at least you can run that one application as is. But if you were building something from scratch, I think the approach is absolutely a microservices-focused approach, or maybe you've got a container uh, definition, an image that knows how to do nothing other than intermediate as middleware with that Panasonic projector, Mm -hmm. right? And that's all it knows how to do. Matter of fact, it could be even less than that. It could be all this container knows how to do is grab telemetry from a Panasonic projector. And that's it. And that's it. Yeah. Right? It may not even know to 
run a power on or off command, right? Or any other thing. It might just have this one very simple thing mm. that it does. Or taking it a step great. further, maybe there's a container that only does the communication. And then these other functional type of applications talk to that container that does the communication. Yes. Almost in an IoT, I'm going to throw here, buzzword soup, look out, IoT All digital right. twins concept, right? Where yeah. you have sort of a container that is functioning as a virtual representation of the device. Of the device, yeah. Yep. And then that's allowing you to have that single queue for all the communication going to and from the device, which is mm. important when you start yeah. talking about building software systems for AV devices. They it, tend to be not incredibly sophisticated. It could uh, be a Lance, a serial converter on the other side where you really have to watch yes. timing and things like that. Yes, precisely. Or, you know, if you're running a firmware update on a device or even a, a power off command, you don't also at the same time want to be running, mm -hmm. I don't know, a channel change or a volume command or something like that. You need to buffer that stuff through. Yeah. Uh, so that's a very interesting way of looking at it. Absolutely. Okay. So one container to kind of be the traffic cop for each real world device, perhaps, and then other containers that are just focused on functionality. And I yeah. think another thing to point out is each one of these containers will need some kind of documentation so that you know how to implement that pubs up subbus you were talking about. Yes. Yes. This is where the AV industry has really had a hard time in uh, adopting a standard um, mm. across all communication for devices, right? So we don't even universally adopt SSH, which is the most table stakes sort of console yeah. approach in the world. And you would never buy a switch today or a server today that didn't communicate with SSH. Um, although switches, they're still kind of on the way, but most have moved to SSH now and away from Telnet. Um, we we haven't we have communication consoles that aren't even Telnet. They're just this random TCP socket, Telnet-like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, so there's a huge problem with just standard protocol adoption, which is why containers are required. Right? If you were working in an mm. industry that was universally um, standardized on some sort of HTTP, you know, RESTful API or webhooks or MQTT as a protocol, right? Something along these lines that is, um, a, you know, a known standard, it would be different. You wouldn't have this middleware problem. Okay. But because you have to meet the industry where it is today, you have to have this middleware container, this middleware process that translates the device's commands into some sort of universal pub sub or communication method. Mm. Now, that's the interesting part. Right. That's the opportunity. Right. Built right? This, yes, absolutely. You've built this application or you've, you've got this, this projector, whatever it might be. And now we don't care it, what protocol it talks. All we care is that it has all of the, the hooks that we need, right? Yep. That it exposes all of its telemetry information, that it exposes all of its configuration, ideally in some kind of you know declarative way. So we can mm -hmm. just say, be as such, right? Be this rather yeah. than turn this on, turn this on, turn this on, do this, to set this setting, right? This imperative instruction set. It's so much better for us to just say, you know, just expose us a nice friendly API. I don't care how you do it because once we have it, then we can use our own little piece of middleware to do everything we need with that device. And then normalize that data. This is the key. Normalize all that data and all that communication yeah. into something well understood. Could be MQTT, could be a, a Redis pub sub. It, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. That's your application specific implementation. It could also be an internal key. socket that implements something you just make up yourself internally. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. That's actually been an interesting thought of mine is great. You have uh, the part of the application that uh, you know your container that gets telemetry information or runs commands or access to the mm -hmm. you know, whatever you're doing with that device 
but the actual normalization of the data could also be a separate process. So you could just be passing the data from that container into another container, and that container can be the one that decides, oh, we need to push this to MQTT or to Redis or wherever and do the the transformation of that data. So there's, I think, some interesting opportunity there to make more universal um, middleware for AV that isn't just one platform or implementation specific. Awesome. So when, <laughs> when, when, I, uh, when I have these conversations, at least in the past, I tend to um, get the reaction that, that people feel like it's an all or nothing kind of endeavor. Either I'm going to switch to modern software and forget all the stuff I learned for the past 20 years and burn the bridges to my partners and all that stuff. And um, when, when I hear the way you're talking about this, I, I see an opportunity, like let's say you have your staff trained up with some kind of legacy programming system and that's not going to change, but you you got a few people on staff or some subcontractors that could um, do some really interesting things with more modern software. Is uh, what, what do you think of this idea where you use containerization to containerize that legacy platform so your already trained up programmers can work how they always worked and that container can talk to other containers that do more interesting and advanced things like telemetry, which we really don't generally do on, on the integrator level. Well, <laughs> it's, 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 well, it's, it's always been um, kind of spoon fed to us from the manufacturers. Everybody had their yeah. management system and we're supposed to use those. Uh, doesn't really work out well for the end customer because it, it should be tailor-made. And this might be a nice way to marry those two worlds to each other. I mean, oh my gosh, the opportunity there, right? I mean, yes, if we have a way to, like what I'd love to see, I'd love to see the big control system manufacturers uh, and software developers create Dockerized versions of their control system ecosystems. Mm. Because it would allow us to continue to use the software we're familiar with as Navy industry and put it out there, but be able to run it on uh, completely agnostic compute x86 you know x8664 arm 64 amd 64 whatever right just standard uh architecture platforms and not have to be so tied into the industry specific hardware now i understand why they might not want to do that right now but i think avoiding sort of trying to push this idea forward that we have to use our hardware and our our ecosystem and that's it that's all you can use that is legacy mindset that is not going to survive the next wave of innovation in this industry um, this is the kind of stuff we're talking about is once yeah. everyone realizes the power of what containerization can offer as an example technology or a generic compute, right? Being able to just run that Intel Nook, right? Or whatever you're mm-hmm. running, the AMD XYZ, whatever small form factor machine out in the space and say, you know, run whatever applications you need on that box rather than say needing to buy a box for this, a box for this, and a box for this. And oh, by the yeah. way, these ones are back ordered two years, <laughs> right? That that doesn't work in the future of AV. That's not a scalable process. It doesn't serve our customers well, and it's not going to be how we generate value. My opinion here is the types of products I'm going to specify and that we're going to standardize on are going to be the products that offer the most robust APIs, the most observable APIs, right? That how much data can I get from this? Can I see everything about the internal state of this device by its outputs? Mm. Uh, and can I manage this device in some declarative way? I will go with those devices all day over a night, a cooler device or whatever that has a cooler feature set because it's all about scale and administration for me. How do I manage it? So I love that idea of 
how do we take what we've done for decades as an industry with these low code platforms, essentially what they are, right? Sure. This, everything that's been in the industry. And to get ages. you up and running quickly. Yes. How do we take that, packet it, you know, package it up as a container? And now great, let's use some other processes in addition to that, right? Some other containers, some other software to enhance what we're doing with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, with those packages and with that, with that legacy software, you would notice no change other than it's not a black box. It's you log into a server somewhere and then you have your legacy app. Yeah. The, the wild thing about this is like, here's the, here's the mind shift. Why do you have a box for control system programming and a box for audio processing and a box for video processing and a box for video streaming and a box for video recording and a box for X, Y, Z, whatever. Right. Why, because why that's how we we've always this? done it right <laughs> think about your phone though, right like think like why like and this is this is what the metaphor i use for for yeah. peers in the industry right like you wouldn't have an iphone for outlook and a different one for zoom and a different one for teams that would be ridiculous like, why would you ever do that yeah we have an opportunity to have that kind of an app store like revolution in the av industry and containers is the key to getting there if i can run not just my control system programming, but also my audio processing, my video processing, my streaming and recording, mm-hmm. any middleware I'm running, my monitoring telemetry collection, my whatever, right? Security scanning software, any of those things on one hardware component that's yeah. truly generic that I can pick up from five different distributors today that, you know, like I don't care what's running on it. That opportunity in this industry is stupidly massive to normalize that entire process and say, no, no, it's just software. We can yeah. all start moving a lot faster if we could make that transition. The problem is it's not easy. It's not easy to manage the deployment. Yeah, well, you're, you're talking about hardware manufacturers selling licenses instead of hardware. And I'm going to tell you this, they want to, they don't know it yet. Some of them don't know yet. And some <laughs> of them are trying already. This is the big, the big yeah. brick wall, right? The brick wall that I see in the industry is if I'm a hardware manufacturer is trying to modernize my business. Mm. I want to move to subscription recurring revenue. That's the whole goal. That's everybody over the last 10 years. Look at Avaya, look at Cisco, right? Look at any of the major technology companies. This is how they've done it. They've started transitioning their one-time hardware sales with warranty business to recurring revenue-based businesses. Mm -hmm. And every manufacturer in the industry should be wanting to do this. Why? Because you don't have to win the business over and over and over again. Right? You get recurring trickle through revenue all the time, and it allows you to build a much more stable P&L at the end of the day. That's, yeah. that's just better business. So as businesses are trying to do this in the manufacturing space, you see it through software licensing. You're starting to see big audio manufacturers make desktop software right? with mm-hmm. a license. The problem is, is the integration industry has no idea how to deliver that. Right. So where right? do we start? Exactly. Right. If you if you've got this bottleneck where the manufacturers can't get their software through the industry, and the integrators would love to add more value to their customers, but they don't know how to make that step. They don't understand Linux. They don't understand uh, containerization. They don't understand, you know, Node, right, or any of those things. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, they they've got this this brick wall. Manufacturers want to push it through. Integrators can't quite do it, but they want more innovation. In my mind, there's the at the gap in the middle of there is where the opportunity is. How do you make the software delivery process as simple as delivering a hardware appliance today? Mm. Right? How do you make the process of getting XYZ application from the industry or manufacturers or wherever it's coming from and make it as easy as click, click, deploy for integrators? 
that's the technology I is there to do that, oh. right? Like Docker has a registry as well, where you can, yes. with a few lines of code, you know, a terminal command or even like a a template file, uh, pull complete containers from the Docker registry. Yes, absolutely. You're it's done. There. It's there. <laughs> There's nothing to recreate. The challenge right. is these tools have traditionally been used for big cloud infrastructure and applications, things like Kubernetes, okay. right? Other container yeah. orchestration platforms. They weren't ever built to scale down to the edge. So the one technology trend I'm watching very, very closely and working in is in edge computing, because that's mm -hmm. really the key for me. How do we take those cloud native practices mm -hmm. of, you know, um, cattle versus pets, right? Having having lots of instances of applications that we don't really care about their names or where they are because if one goes away, another one comes up and replaces it, right? That sort of cloud native thought process of super scalable systems uh, and apply it down to the edge where we have to live because we talk to LAN devices. Yeah, it's right? a real world. Talk to stuff, devices yeah. in a local network. So that's the big, uh, for me, the big opportunity in the AV industry. Edge computing has the fundamental capability of transforming that whole process. And if we can tap into it, we're going to enable the entire generation of audiovisual professionals to move into the software era without having to go through sort of this you know, messy revolution process. Yeah. Right? It's just, hey, here's the middleware. Much like we have to meet devices where they are, we have to meet our integration channel where it is. Mm. Right. So where's the opportunity there? How do we make that process simple so that it can be adopted so we can start modernizing now without waiting for companies like Zoom? or other cloud native software native applications to come in to the AV yeah. industry because they see the opportunity, right? If we don't do it from within, it's going to come from without. Yeah. So that's the opportunity that I see. Excellent. Excellent. I like that uh, kind of word of warning at the end, because we've seen it in AV where manufacturers had their very specific lane that they stayed in. And once they couldn't sell more touch panels, they got into audio and video. And, and this is not one manufacturer. It's all of them started yes. selling everything. And uh, that kind of business timeline of how a company grows and, and expands its product line will happen with these software companies as well. And they are already in the room. So they'll be looking around at the room and see what else they could integrate with. And uh, that'll paint a target on our backs, I, I suppose. Or we could Absolutely. be the facilitator to, to make that happen. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, we have a talent recruitment problem in the AV industry. It's still very trade mindset, you know, you mm. come in as a installer, you got to work your way up, you know, into being an engineer. There's no degree you go get to be a, an audiovisual engineer, right? Yeah. Or any of those kinds of things. Yeah. So attracting new talent into the industry has been a big challenge historically and will continue to be a big challenge, especially for modern software developers. But the opportunity for these organizations that are outside of AV, managed service providers, for example, uh, mm -hmm. to step into the AV space with their modern dev teams. And oh, man. do things with software that we've been doing with man hours, you yeah. know, yeah. ourselves, that, that, that is, that's where the big opportunity is. We're not going to get all these great right. software developers into the AV industry. They're going to come from adjacent industries and yep. take chunks like Zoom, like Zoom wiped out all of the infrastructure-based video conferencing. Sure. Like they killed that whole industry, <laughs> except for the few enterprises that are still hanging on to, you know, just legacy infrastructure. But Zoom did that. Without they weren't even aiming, you know, for that. It's a consumer right. application. Like that was yeah. their their whole goal. So brilliant uh, example of what can happen when something disruptive comes into the industry like that. Yeah. So you could take it as word of warning. I think it I think it can be interpreted as such. 
I see it as opportunity, you know, to reinvent ourselves as an industry with software. The software revolution maybe has not happened. Yeah. So in many ways, if you look at technology and you look at software outside of AV and the transition to recurring revenue over the last 10 years, it's like having a crystal ball. Like you can see where it's going to go, <laughs> right? Just follow the roadmap, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it makes me very excited because I love all this stuff and I love find, finding different ways to sort of bring the industry up and give us new capabilities. And yeah. uh, there's no shortage of opportunity to be able to do that. Absolutely. I think the uh, those advanced software developers would still need an API. They'd need some kind of documentation that the hooks into the thing we already built with our knowledge and skills of, AV in the room and uh, building that bridge, exposing that API, you know, there's still a role for old school AV people to play is here's your API and then just be open to working with um, advanced software developers to make even more advanced applications. What an opportunity there. I'm going to sound like a broken record saying opportunity over and over again, but that's all I see with all this stuff. Think about what you just said, right? Offering an API to other developers, um, that is an opportunity not just for traditional systems integrators who are essentially writing middleware, right? That's that's what mm-hmm. we'd be doing then. Talk to this device, write some middleware that serves a nice API to another developer, but also to the manufacturers specifically. How do you differentiate yourself as an audiovisual manufacturer today? Oh, when I walked the floor at Infocom, I looked around and saw yet again another, let's pick on projectors. Uh, 20 different projector manufacturers with 20 different implementations of built-in virtual whiteboarding. Yeah. That's not feature differentiation. That's noise, right? That's commoditization. So how do you differentiate yourself? It's not by a better embedded whiteboard unless you're going through K through 12 and that's it. And even they're moving to zoom, right? Right. Um, It's, it's uh, how do you now make your product easier to integrate? easier to see, easier to observe, right? Easier to manage the security and updates for. Mm. Um, How do you start going down that path? And that's where you start driving really interesting value as a manufacturer to the next wave of software professionals in the AV space, right? Making that device more accessible, more manageable. uh, That's that's where the domains of concern are for the big enterprises, for sure. Sure. That's what they want to see. That's what I needed when I was in big enterprise and had 3,000 conference rooms and you know, you know yeah. literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of endpoints need to be managed at scale. The interfaces I was given drove my specification and it will continue to do mm-hmm. so. So a great mm-hmm. opportunity there for uh, not just manufacturers, not just you know existing integrators, uh, but anybody in the industry to bring usable APIs that can be developed by outside uh, you know, contract resources or by software development companies or whoever we're working with and let this wave of the existing sort of, you know, control system process development mm. uh, go away, let it go away. It doesn't work. It's not how modern software is developed, but yeah. that's a, that's going to be a touch point for some people. And I'm sorry sure. to trigger anyone, but we don't have backend developers build all of the front end and user experience in modern software delivery, but yeah. that inevitably <laughs> happens. Every time, time every AV, time, yeah, right. Every time, yeah. with these are back end developers, right? And they're tightly coupled to too, try and like, make an interface, right? Yeah, you can't separate the interface from the code either. It's no, and they are fundamentally separate things, not just interface development, but interface design, right? Just yeah, the UI design UX, itself, sure. Right? Yeah, there's three different practices, you yep. know, even if you have a full stack dev that can do front end and back end, 
UI yeah. is still different. UI design, yeah. UI user experience design is fundamentally different. And we still haven't quite figured that out, which is why our software experience lags behind what our customers expect. Yeah. They want the Zoom app, yep. right? It's great. It's a great user experience. No wonder yeah. they don't want our, you know, our touch panel, uh, you know, integration or whatever we built for them because it doesn't feel, look, or operate in a modern way. Yeah. But I've worked on a few projects where there was a UI designer involved and it's, it's night and day, the result. It really is. I, I heard this in a conversation the other day. Uh, we were talking about uh, when the UI gets developed and it was, oh, well, as soon as we know the complete bill of materials, um, <laughs> what's the hardware what the UI it? will be. And I was just like, yeah, wait a minute, guys. Like that's this, that's, that's not customer centric. That's not no. customer centric at all. That's not going to drive value. Yeah. Like we got to do that differently. Uh, this was with a third party we were talking to and and it was just a mind blowing, uh, but also completely obvious yeah. <laughs> thing to happen. Right. Like, wow, we have, we have some awesome, um, there's some work to do and, uh, a lot of good opportunity there with uh, learning the lessons that software industries already learn. Yeah. I, this ties into a bunch of things you were saying about manufacturers taking a different approach, integrators taking a different approach, like the UI coupled with the backend programming. I think all in all, um, we could kind of say, let's take the word control and replace it with management. Mm -hmm. and, and that might be the new mindset that we need because control has always kind of been an afterthought. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about management, I think people see, you know, how that saves money or makes money. Oh man. I, I mean, the, you're, yeah, you're out on the bleeding edge now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just the fact that, that monitoring by itself is still so rarely done in the industry through uh, through any sort of centralized controls, right? We all have these these manufacturer panels, right? We talked about earlier, yeah. And you know, fourteen different tools to look at your your one AV system, or you know, ten different tools to look at your one conference room, right? That that process doesn't work in modern technology, and it doesn't work at any kind of scale. So management, that's exactly right, Patrick. But thinking about this as not just how do I change channels on the display, right? But how do I make sure the firmware on the display is up to date and that it's connected and that it's working and that the backlight is set to the appropriate backlight, you know, setting and, 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 and how do we actually deal with the scaled out administration of the system? Sure. I think everybody should be looking out. Yeah. They got to look out for that. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that there's already big tech companies sniffing around at the edges of the industry. Yeah. I mean, HP acquired Poly. How much more of an indicator do you need of a large tech, you know, commodity compute manufacturer acquiring one of the biggest and most IT savvy brands in the entire industry? Poly's mm. done great work there. Their APIs are solid. They use RESTful uh, API structures. They've got great HTTP, you know, uh, APIs built in. Uh, they use standard SSH and SNMP. You know, they make those things available. They abandoned the old TCP socket based communications ages ago. Uh, and so to have that, that forward thinking of a brand get snapped up by one of the largest, you know, mm -hmm. manufacturing technology companies uh, on the planet, that should be, a that should be a major warning, I think to, to others that, Hey, big tech's going to take an interest in this, believe me. And, uh, that, that innovation has to come from within, or like I said earlier, it's got to come from within or it's going to come from without. And that's what I think is happening with the HP acquisition, you know, right there. So gotta watch out. <laughs> so we gotta move. We don't have time to just sit and wait for the manufacturers to do it for us. That's that's not in their best interest yet. 
Yes. And yeah. uh, the, the pressure has to come from the consumer and from the integration channel. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. I think that's a good point to wrap it up. I'm sure we could go on for another couple hours. <laughs> we'll have to do this again sometime, Fred. Any uh, final thoughts or pieces of advice? Yeah. Um, if you don't know what containers are, go to YouTube and learn about it. Uh, I'm a big fan of Network Network Chuck. I'm not sponsored by Network Chuck. We don't even know each other, but he makes some great content. Um, if you look up Network Chuck Docker, that's a great way to start. Uh, and in general, start getting familiar with the traditional programming language. That's kind of thing number two. Learn containers, start getting familiar with a programming language like JavaScript on Node.js or uh, or Python or, or some other. Start getting familiar with that stuff now. And uh, lastly, stop thinking about things in terms of control. To your point, Patrick, stop thinking about AV devices in terms of just control. Start thinking about management. And not just one, not how would I manage one or two or three, but how would I manage a hundred? How would I manage a thousand? Think about scale. The programming tool set is going to make your life infinitely easier. The containerization mindset is going to allow you to scale out that operation as you build that control or that, that management interface. And uh, the mindset shift alone is going to help you think about the industry in a different way, uh, which I think is going to be fundamental to how you go to the next level uh, within AV, within your own practice, uh, and you know how we take the industry itself Right? Not just our companies, but the industry itself to that next stage that of modern software development and all the benefits it's going to bring. So those would be the, the leave behinds I'd have. Nice. Excellent. If uh, somebody would like to get in touch with you, how would they best do that? Yeah, LinkedIn is definitely the, the, the best way to do that. You can search my name there uh, or uh, find me at my page. It's forward slash F-N-L-O-U-C-K-S. Uh, I respond to my messenger and Love to set up conversations to get into the nitty gritty of these exact kind of things. Good stuff. I'll see you on LinkedIn for sure. Awesome. Thanks, Patrick. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Integrating Technology. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your colleagues and sign up for the newsletter at integratingtechnologypodcast.com for more insights on using modern software in AV. Okay, hush button. Do you know what the most used function is during a video conference? It is muting the microphone. And a typical conference room may have a touch panel at one end of the table, but that doesn't do the rest of the meeting participants any good. And that's where the idea of the hush button was born. Why not give everybody at the table a way to reach out and mute their microphone and be able to see very clearly at a glance which microphones are on and which are off. It's a simple lighted switch that gets built into the table. It's designed to accept a table microphone or also known as a boundary microphone. It could also be used with ceiling microphones. And because it has a open API, it can actually be programmed to do just about anything. You could select a laptop with it, turn a system on and off, or click five times fast and call a taxi if that's what's required. So if you have an AV project coming up and you want to give each user at the table, the simplest control interface on the market. Please go to catchtechnologies.com and have a look at Hush Button.